Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm Brandon David, your host. Great investor interview. Some of my favorite interviews now are with the investors. We have John of Altitude Investments. Great portfolio. A lot of companies have been on the show. BDS, Privateer, Work, Front Range. And their newest uh, portfolio company investment is Canadescent, the Santa Barbara uh, flower producer that's just crushing it right now. Particularly cool interview because I originally spoke with John uh, more than a couple years ago before he started and he was just thinking about the cannabis industry um, and swears that I was very helpful in in getting him involved he's a big fan of the show so really kind of warms my heart from that perspective Um, and speaking of getting into the industry or or starting up I want to just take a a minute to talk about a new business uh, that producer Eric and I uh, have just started it's called balanced advisor and we're here to help companies here to help cannabis companies that need help with things like accounting and taxes or video creation. We've gotten really good uh, at understanding the landscape and the needs of early stage founders over a hundred episodes now really proud of that. And if you need some help, please let us know we're here to help get your life back. Start sleeping again, balancedadvisor.com. All right, guys, let's get back into the program here. Great show with John of altitude investments. Tune in, Listen up, get acquainted. Well, John, thanks so much for being here. I always like to talk to fellow investors. Uh, and this one is particularly cool because you just reminded me that maybe a couple years ago, we had a long conversation when you were getting in uh, to the industry. But welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So uh, let's get started on an easy one for anyone that doesn't know. What is Altitude? Uh, so uh, again, I appreciate you inviting me. Um, you know, we, we had connected a couple of years ago um, at the beginning of my journey in the space, and we'll talk about it a little bit, but uh, I'm excited that uh, it's come full circle and, and um, uh, I'm being presented through your program. So that's really great. And I appreciate that. Well, all guests uh, are earned on this program. So <laughs> that's for sure. Well, then I'm earning something, uh, which is good. Uh, so what is Altitude? Altitude is a venture capital fund focused on the global cannabis industry. It uh, consists of four partners. I think really the best way that described us, describes us is we're the mature group of long-term institutional alternative investment managed professionals. I know that's, a, that, that's very wordy, uh, but you know, we're, we're bringing 100 plus years of alternative investment experience uh, combined with the partners um, and bringing that long-time experience into the cannabis industry and really trying to take a very disciplined approach to investing across the industry. Uh, so we're, we're, we're pretty straightforward in that sense. We, um, our, our big strategy or, or our overarching strategy is find great management teams, find great business opportunities, and use that as really the guidepost for, for, uh, for our investments. Got it. And is that experience brought into the cannabis industry? Is that always sort of how you focused? Is, is founder focused and, and management teams? Um, look, my my particular background is um, commercial real estate finance, and I had worked on Wall Street um, a couple other places for twenty five plus years. Uh, so while not while not directly parallel to this industry in terms of investing in companies versus assets, uh, spent a career of deep due diligence and understanding all the important factors that are relative to an investment and and management teams really was ultimately a core of that because what you learn over time is 
uh, a bad manager can kill a great deal. And the reverse is true where a, uh, a, 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 a bad manager or, or a great manager can save a bad deal. So th there are tremendous parallels in that. And I would say my, my partners who come more directly from the corporate world, um, you know, that was always a big component of it. So there, there's, there's lots of parallels from our prior experiences that we bring forward. Got it. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those investments. A lot of companies that are close to the show have been on the show. Uh, Work, Privateer, BDS, Front Range, Flow Hub, um, and your most recent investment in Canadescent. Um, let's talk about that for a couple of minutes. What was it about Canadescent that got you excited? Well, so we have, we have investments in 15 companies to date. Um, you know, and obviously all varying size. Candescent um, is one of our larger holdings, and we're really excited about uh, Adrian Sedlin, who's the CEO of that company and what he's doing. But it really gets back to this idea of what carries value um, in this industry, and whether it be a product, service, um, or technology, what have you. But it's really what, you know, what will carry value forward. And I think a an easy view, or at least a, a, an accepted easy view in the market is that over time, the actual growing of cannabis as a commodity uh, will suffer price compression. And we've certainly seen that in, in markets for varying reasons. But as a general statement, I think we all believe that uh, to be a reasonable assumption. So beyond that, you say, well, what carries value forward? And, it, and it's really our belief that brands are the things are, are the uh, are the things that do that. So then, So then it becomes a question of, who's a great management team and what's their strategy and what do they really bring to the table? Um, Candescent, you know, and Adrian Sedlin um, has done that. Uh, fantastic. And, you know, originally, or, or I, I guess I'd say originally and currently, um, his focus has been on premium branded flower products. Uh, but it's really, that's really about using, you know, that, that represents about 50% of what's sold in the market. Now, over time, that percentage of the pie has been decreasing, but but at the same time, the pie has been getting larger. So the view was, you know, hey, that's 50% of the market. Let's start there. Let's build a brand, and then we can expand from there. And you know, from a from a product set, and then from a market set. And our view is, Candescent is is achieving um, on all aspects of that business plan. Uh, but it does it comes down to management team vision past experience, bringing it forward. Um, and then also a view of, is the product meeting a, um, a demographic that uh, wants to buy the product? And are you, are you fitting that? So, you know, Candescent is one of those, uh, is one of the brand strategies that we did. And we have other investments in other companies that are, while they are vertically integrated, it's really about the branding. Mm -hmm. um, strategy. So we're a big believer in brands as one of uh, the prime verticals that are going to create significant value in the industry. I, I hear that from a lot of people. They talk about the value of the brand and the future brand and the brands are going to win, but it seems to be sort of this elusive concept of how you build a great brand. Is what we're really talking about where you have a lot of sales, a lot of people have bought that brand. Is, is that how you do it? Or where you kind of, you know it when you see it? It's funny because I, I described it a little differently, which is choosing a brand investment is scary as hell. <laughs> you know, and because when, you know, we've all been into uh, dispensaries and there's a million products 
right? And and uh, and and not particularly well branded or well focused on a specific demographic. And I, I think it's endemic of the early stage of the industry, trying to figure itself out, trying to figure out what products or strategies um, would fit. So. I think in the earlier days, it was about getting product on the shelf because, hey, you're selling pot, you know, in the most crude way. And so, yeah, people are going to buy it. Um, but competition has a way of rearing its ugly head and it, and it forces this branding and product differenti differentiation and demographic uh, focus and strategy. So I think it's there's a there's a whole lot that get into it and, you know, probably, you know, 50 to 75 percent of what is critical are things that we draft on of strong management teams like Candessa. Mm -hmm. So I think I, I think that there's so much more that goes into success on building a brand other than having the product on the shelf. I think that worked in the beginning, but it it really feels to me um, that uh, that dynamic has changed very rapidly to the favor of brands and starting to show uh, the differentiation and the little inklings and seeds of who will be more of the winners versus less. And one, one other thing I'll add to that is um, what I really find interesting, and we see so many transactions and I know so many deals come past uh, you as well, um, you know, of, of brand, branded companies or companies that are chasing that strategy. But beyond whether they are qualified and have a skill set to, to build a brand and have that understanding, they, they all are so immensely undercapitalized for advertising and marketing. And when we look at brand companies, we look at that and we really feel like that is a strong differentiator to say, does, do these guys even know what they're doing or how to execute beyond having a nice box or having a nice, um, uh, you know, design on the box and things like that. It, it, there's just so many, so much more and so much more complexities to, executing you know there's distribution right there's making sure you've got product to fill and stay on the shelves so there's just so many so many pieces of the pie here yeah you touched on a couple really important things there the idea that sort of distribution in the first phase was so important just getting it on the shelves right and, and if yeah. you look at the the early winners they, they were just in front of consumers they just got there first um, but now we're seeing quite a bit of differentiation um, you talked about advertising and sort of brand building it's so hard to do in the cannabis industry because of the lack of digital advertising that's allowed um, how do you talk to your portfolio companies about this I mean you can't spend money on Twitter or Instagram Instagram or Facebook and a little bit of AdWords maybe, but how do you combat that? Yeah, it's a really good question because, um, and, and that leads into one of the other, uh, another investment in our portfolio that we did, and that's into a company called Enlighten. They were formerly called Iconic and, and went through a rebranding a couple months ago. But that's about having, you know, it's in the it's in the vertical of digital at a time, so D-O-O-H, mm -hmm. um, but it's really about um, having a large format screen in a dispensary uh, that shows a mix of advertising and informative content and store content. But it's really a function of giving a channel for advertisers to reach an influence at the point of sale, mm -hmm. right? And we saw that as a real, uh, the ability to reach your customer and market as a real deficit um, in the marketplace. And so we, we've tried to uh, play that through our Enlighten investment. Now, what Enlighten has recently done as part of the rebranding, expanded their product set to really to be a, um, a 
you know, what they deem as a 360 digital solution for the store. So that now also includes menu boards, social walls, marketing, um, you know, about uh, I think six or eight total products for the store. But it really goes to how can I reach my customer? How can I influence my customer? It's an area that I have a lot of interest in for, for whatever particular reason. And, you know, maybe I, I see the writing on the wall, which is the winners on the product side are the, going to be the ones that can reach their customer and build market share, build a brand awareness, all those things that go into it. And so with all the challenges comes those kind of opportunities. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to follow those. There, you know, there's, there's other parts of that that we've spent a lot of time looking at and trying to understand if, if they could be successful opportunities to, uh, as channels to reach uh, the customer. Um, you know, whether that is through bud tender education type strategies or um, uh, digital ad network type programs, you know, I think all of those are up and coming, but it, it all gets back to how can I reach the customer? Where should I spend my dollars? Should it just be through social influencers or should I try the more traditional routes? My ultimate view is that it's going to be in all the above because it comes from this general thesis that we have, which is cannabis industry won't operate too different from many other uh, consumer industries and whether that's wine or beer or, or um, I don't know, even cosmetics, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which I've started to get uh, to be introduced because my 12 year old daughter, um, and that's been an interesting learning curve to see how they retail relative to a couple cannabis. cool cannabis uh, cosmetic companies out there too that I've seen some samples of. You might want yeah, to there check are. Out. And, and yeah. we've st we've started. You know, we, I guess we put that in the health and wellness and cosmetic side. Uh, you know, things that are sold outside of uh, of the dispensary, and they're really interesting. And we we all, I think, the industry has a collective view of they're going to be really big. Uh, you then get into the question of uh, will they. With that, will they be able, will an up and coming brand be able to build enough moat or more defensive position from the much bigger companies just adding that line of products? So when we make these investments or any investment, we're, we try to think about how can the company build up a moat? And there's lots of ways to do it, but how can they build up a moat to create a real value? And it's, you know, obviously there's no easy answer, straightforward answer, but it's always part of that equation of trying to figure that out and then take the bet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm obsessed with the new cannabis consumer. Like I I, I understand uh, stoners from past and how they like to buy things. And at least in California, I think I read a piece of data that like 60% of an individual dispensary's sales are repeat customers or all the time customers. You know, they're they're yeah. they're regulars. Um, and so the question is, how do you reach people? You're a new brand. How do you reach people outside of the dispensary too? And and it's sort of taking some weird turns. Like I would have never thought that billboards would be relevant, um, but you're seeing a lot of these sort of offline bus advertising and and different things to try to reach what will be the main part of the cannabis market not too long from now. Um, anyway, just a tangent there. <laughs> no, no, I, I agree. And what to me, what that really says is you're you're starting to see. I, I don't know if winners is the right way to say it. I mean, I, we obviously believe that Candescent is a, is a clear winner, but, you know, we're starting to see some winners emerge. Um, and what that really means is they're starting to have capital mm -hmm. to spend on advertising and marketing. And now the question is, how do they do it? And then they look around and they go, well, I don't really like any of my choices particularly, but I have to do it. 
Um, and so it, it is going to result in unique strategies, um, you know, and, and, you know, that the enlightenment of the world or, or enlightened specifically is, is one of those strategies that we hope to benefit from that spend. Uh, but yeah, billboard, bus wrapping, um, by the way, another way, and this is, and maybe I, I put this in the sneaky category is, um, a newer trend that you see CBD based products, um, in the mini bars of hotels. Mm. Mm. Right. And that's another way to build a brand. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So it's really I mean, I I agree with you. It's it's when you don't have the traditional avenues to go through, you're not just going to say no, you're Mm going to you're going to find ways around it and you're going to find clever ways. And I don't believe social influencers is the solution. Um, Mm. It's it's a piece of it and it's been an important piece of it, but it's not the ultimate solution. Right. Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, and classic marketing. I mean, you have to experiment with as many things as possible, kind of see what sticks. It's different for everybody's uh, product and different for everybody's company. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the strategy of the portfolio. When you look at a new investment, how much do you value sort of that investment in a vacuum versus the synergy of other companies in the portfolio? Yeah, so we we made a very purposeful decision as we launched this fund to focus, you know, and whether it's a you know one through five idea, but really focus on management team and business opportunity, less so about building a portfolio that creates synergies or mm-hmm. kind of a a pre-placed or pre planned consolidation. The, and the, really, the reason for that was that it's our view. And I feel like there's an obvious statement, but we're in the foundational stages of this industry. And to put to put restrictions on the way we would look at things, we felt would be limiting. Now, I think over time, as the industry matures and you start to see winners and strategies emerge, you could start to follow that. Uh, but we didn't think the risk-adjusted reward for trying to build that kind of thing outweighed saying, let's just look at this entire thing and let's follow great opportunities as our true North Star versus being guided into something artificially. Now, our strategy has been to invest across the industry, so plan touching and not. And we always viewed this as a portfolio and a diversified strategy because what we can see is legalization over the horizon. But what we also know 100% is it's not a straight line from here to there. And so ultimately, we don't know all the strategies and all the ways that it's it's going to play out to a more mature market. So the portfolio strategy um, is a way to manage that risk profile and investing across the industry, plant touching, not cultivation, brands, technology, services. It, it's really, it, it's all part and parcel of that risk mitigation strategy and play to the benefits of the phase of the industry now. What we're really trying to do is is find and invest in companies that will be foundational to the industry. That's the space. Got it. No, that all makes sense. And do you think that that flexibility, that diversity, touching the plant, not touching the plant, does that make it harder or easier to raise money uh, from your LPs? You know, I thought you were going to ask a different question, which is, does it make it harder to find deals? Uh, and and <laughs> the, the answer to that is yes, because you're looking at so much broad-based and you're then forced to learn a new vertical from scratch right. in one that you didn't know already. So it, it creates those issues. But in terms of raising capital, uh, certainly when you are also touching the plant, that has an effect on your ability of 
who would invest in you or not. Um, I think we do a good job of helping investors understand that risk profile, but it is a risk profile on plant touching businesses, you know, from, from the potential um, federal actions, right? Uh, but I would say in the bigger sense, the story of portfolio diversification, formation stage of the industry, follow the best opportunities um, resonated with our almost 90 investors that we have to date. Wow, nine, 90 investors. And, we do, yeah. and that makeup is high net worth individuals. Are there any institutions in that group? It's uh, high net worth and family offices. Okay. Um, no institutional t- at, uh, at this point. And, you know, I think we're all we're all hoping on the fund of management side, and I guess on the on the company side that raised capital, um, that more family offices will uh, partake in the industry, and institutional will start to inch their way in. Um, but we're just not we're not seeing that yet. But we are seeing um, an ever growing awareness and interest on the on the family office side, for sure. Yeah, no, agreed. And family offices is this wonderful sector that I really didn't think too much of before the cannabis industry, but represents a good amount of money and sort of a, I don't know, a little bit easier touch point, I would say. Um, what what are some of the pushbacks that you're seeing when you're raising money for a fund like this? What what are the major concerns? Um, I, you know, I don't I don't think it's the this the idea of what we're investing in, meaning meaning like the cannabis industry or early stage companies. So I don't, I don't think it's that because I think, I think, um, you know, the quote unquote smart investor, when everybody's running away, they're running in, you know, in 2008 mm-hmm. and nine in the financial crash is a, is a good example. Um, you know, the largest, the largest fund managers out there, if you really look at their track record, they make the most money in those dips because they have capital to go in and buy. Right. So that's the classic, um, you know, buy when there's fear. Um, and so I don't, I don't think it's uh, the sector or the type of companies we invest in. I think if anything, it is the fact that it is federally illegal. Uh, that is the thing you need to get over with investors. Um, but, but, that, but that is a material, that aspect is a material reason why you can get, achieve what we think are great risk adjusted returns. So, it's the classic, you know, in, in, in a, uh, using, using that kind of example, 2008 and nine, when everybody was running away, oh my God, the, you know, there's going to be no liquidity, the banks are going to go under, you know, and then the Warren Buffett of the world, you know, infuses 5 billion into Goldman. Um, we really view this stage of the industry and the opportunity to invest as a parallel to that, mm-hmm. where institutional capital and large companies are not participating in this industry. Um, and it gives us the room to invest capital where we're not competing with that capital and the companies we invest in are not competing with the big Goliaths of the world. So when we tell that story to investors and they get comfortable with the risk profile, um, it resonates. Yeah, I mean, the way I like to explain it to potential investors is there's a huge vacuum here where there's just not nearly enough capital in private U.S. cannabis. Just period. And so you have an opportunity to get in where a lot of other people are uncomfortable. And if you happen to have just the smallest inkling of interest in this, you're way ahead of a lot of other people that are afraid of it. Um, and yep. that, that tends to that tends to resonate. Um, 
the, the of course, uh, reverse of that is in Canada, where you see all kinds of institutional capital and big public investments. Uh, how does Canada affect you? Are, are you hearing from LPs like, well, why don't I just invest in Canopy? You know, why do I need to do private stuff in the U.S.? Do you hear that? Uh, we hear it a little. And what I, what, do I, what I say to potential investors is I get back to this core. And I don't know if it's just a me thing or it's, it's the, the right thing, per se. Um, but everything you do should be diversified, measured, risk-adjusted portfolio strategy. Um, you know, in, in, in quicker words, it's like, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? So mm-hmm. what I say to potential investors is um, take a three-pronged strategy to this. Play the publics if you feel comfortable doing that. Do one-off transactions if you want to be if you want to be active and you want to look at individual deals. But then the third is invest in a fund like Altitude because we'll give you diversification, we'll give you access to knowledge base, right? And so I think you know in that three-pronged strategy, you you get the most information flow to make the best investments. In the bigger sense, you know how does Canada and the, and all the activity and the IPOs affect us. I, I think it, it you know, I, I don't want to say, and, I, and I, I, I haven't done the kind of study or analysis to, to affirm the statement. I don't want to say they're overvalued, right? I, and because I don't know that I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would say is there is a lot of money chasing public companies through a very small funnel, right? Through the, through the Canadian publics. Um, and so that, by definition, is going to have a warping effect. Now, how does it translate to us? It translates to us that many of the companies we invest in um, uh, have a, whether you call it strong or inflated view of their value, right? Mm-hmm. So it does, a, it, it does like flow downhill uh, to us in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it is that effect. Uh, you know, if I had any investor who said, what should I do about it? canopy or a Tilray or whatever, I, I, you know, I, I just don't have the answer. And I, I, I think um, in the best way I would say it is if you can invest in a public security that provides all the dynamics, meaning there's real float, you can go long or you can go short or you can do all the things that you can do with regular stock. I think that gives you the environment for the stock to be more reflective um, mm-hmm. of of a proper value versus more limited aspects around a public company. Lockups. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, all those things. Right. So I, I always kind of view like a, a public stock, um, it, you know, it, in essence, who am I to say that, that, that price is not right or wrong, but I say that in the context of it should be a fully functioning market. Mm-hmm. And in a fully functioning market, there's buyers and sellers long and short, and the value will be truly reflective. Um, and certainly in a, in a more wide open market with more investor choices, um, then the real winners can emerge and the, the challenge companies uh, will, will suffer from that. And I don't know that you're seeing that full potential yet uh, for the companies to be truly reflective of, of all those dynamics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I'm just always in pursuit of simplicity. And I just don't understand some of the instruments, the four way reverse merger, whatever, like, I, I don't know, it sort of sounds like financing your way into an exit rather than creating real value. 
Um, and maybe that's just spoken from an early stage investor. But for me, it's um, there's too many unknowns. There's just too many unknowns there and 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 a loss of control, which also sort of makes yeah. me a little hesitant. Well, we, um, we talk we talk internally a lot about what what what's so great about going public. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it costs you money and then it costs you operational costs to meet the regulatory obligations to be public. Um, and, and yeah, in for the ones that take off, you can gain a currency and, and you know, grow on grow. Um, but at the end of the day, what do we look at as an earlier you know, investor in early private companies? It's how do you build a real business, right? And we're just looking at what's this underlying business and what can it become um, and go do that, right? Because we really believe if you build an asset that has value, the value, the value will be reflective of that. But if you if you rush to go public with something, um, uh, you know, through as you as you deem more of a, a financial trade or a financial uh, financial engineering, then you know you're 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 taking on more more different kind of businesses and complexities. And I really want the companies we invest in to focus on building market share and building great products and services, and valuations will follow. Well said. Well said. Maybe I'm naive. (laughs) No, no, I I, I agree with you. Um, So you're currently raising, uh, I think the target was 50 million, according to my notes here. How's that raise going so far? Yeah, the the way we did, we always targeted a range between 25 and 50. Um, And so we're a 3C1 offering that allows up to 100 accredited investors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, we're, we're close to 90. Um, so my guess is we will end up closer to 30 than to 50, just on the remaining investor slots that we have. Okay. Um, you know, and the, and the kind of the average check size that uh, or investor check size that we see coming in. So I, I think we end up around that, and I think that's perfectly fine for us. Again, it's it's the stages of companies that we're investing in. It's the dollar amounts of those capital raises where we can be, um, where our capital has real meaning and we can position to be the lead or co-lead or in any sense, be very involved with the company, which is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not too big where we say, oh, I couldn't write that check because it doesn't move the needle. So right. I think, you know, within the range that we're going to end up with, I think it's a perfectly good fund one starting relative to what we're doing, relative to where the industry is and relative to giving us real standing um, in the industry relative to our peers. Yeah, no, uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, a bigger fund is not always better. I think people don't realize that because they've never managed a fund. <laughs> but, yeah, but it, has, it has to be reflective of the of the market opportunity because otherwise you'll just twiddle your thumbs and say, "Well, that doesn't move the needle," or "That doesn't work." And you know, you, you gotta it's it's got to be right for what the what the opportunity is. So we think we're we think we're in that zone. So that that's good. Makes sense. Um, let's talk about the future a little bit. You're in the business of uh, picking early stage winners. Is there a sector of the industry that you want to see more of? Is there, you know, a, a better mousetrap out there that that you wish existed? Yeah, what I I I feel, and it's like every day you wake up and you and you read something, you say, oh my god, it's going to be legalized tomorrow, and then you come to your senses and you and you realize, well, the government doesn't really do anything fast, so we could we could take that risk profile off the table. Um, but I do feel at this point, the startup ecosystem is is more at the when I think of the industry, I think the industry itself is at the well early stages, but the startup ecosystem is further along. And so for this fund, 
um, we will, we have found great companies to invest in and we will, will continue to do that for the remaining capital that we have to, uh, to invest in both within the portfolio and then adding a couple more companies. Um, and so I, I, um, I, I question whether there is truly an ample flow of, of really kind of what you deem as the, you know, the new startup, right? Because we're in this formational stage. We're not in the disruptive phase of the industry like much of the other tech worlds are, right? Mm -hmm. How do I find the new and create the new Airbnb? Right? We're not that. We're about how do I just get HR payroll services, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or how do I do these basic things? So um, we like brands a lot. We, we look for that. Um, Clearly, the multi-state operators um, have had a lot of traction in the public markets. Um, we we have not really played in the bridge to publics, but we do like the multi-state operator, and we've been playing it with some groups that have been piecing it together over time. And so we, we find those entry points. As we talked about earlier, I like marketing, advertising, all ways, shapes, and forms to reach and connect and, uh, with the customer, build market share, data. You know, I'm, I, in a way, I'm drawn to those things. And so I want to see some more opportunities um, on that side. Also, compliance is is a real hot button. It's it's something that is not going to go away. It will only stay had as to the, le to the high levels of compliance that it is and grow stronger. So we, we have a lot of interest in that. Um, and we also like, uh, you know, interesting technology solutions and really kind of um, our investment in Pathogen DX was one example of that, where they apply a patented DNA-based technology to uh, the testing space, mm -hmm. uh, initially to test for, you know, bacteria and contaminants, uh, but then growing their product set for gender identification and and uh, and composition, you know, THC and CBD and terpenes and all that stuff. Uh, but what we really like about it is it's a product that does better than the current technology, right? It's better and faster than the hundred year old Petri dish method by magnitudes and it's cheaper. Mm -hmm. And so it's a real, it's a, it's a real solution. It's a patented technology. It's defensible. Um, and it has global scale. So mm. we like those ideas and right? they're not easy to come by. And we think Pathogen is a great example of that and they're executing really well. Um, you know, and also this idea that, and Pathogen again is an example where uh, cannabis industry is like, is the Trojan horse for some ideas. And then how do I take that technology and apply it to the non-cannabis world? And in Pathogen's yep. example, it's food, food and water testing and all those kind of things. And so then you really get this much bigger footprint and much bigger scale. Uh, so we seem to be drawn to those those things I've mentioned. Um, what what we what we don't get drawn to is is uh, you know basic cultivation, mm -hmm. uh, and certainly in states where uh, you know there's very little barriers or really unlimited supply side of the equation. Right. And maybe that's a low hanging fruit thing to say, um, but you'd be surprised or not on how many opportunities we see uh, that are just that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it really is starting to look uh, a little bit like a gold rush. People going down to the river to pan for gold and not realizing that, well, if everybody does that, we've already seen the price of wholesale cannabis just tank. 
you know, it's, it's just yeah. lower than it's ever been. Um, so yeah, kind of a fascinating thesis that way too. I love to just shift gears uh, a little bit and talk about sort of you and the, one of the guys behind the money. Um, what's your day look like? What do you do? What do you read? How do you stay informed? Yeah. So it, it, every day is a little different, but they all seem to be, be around. We've got several new investment opportunities to look at. So we're crunching through that really quickly to, to find the reason why not to spend a moment on it. You know, it's kind of that way. Um, we, uh, we've been actively engaged with a PR firm to help uh, our brand uh, get further traction yep. as we continue to raise capital within this fund and then execute our business plan on subsequent capital raises and investment strategy. So this morning I was doing um, a taped interview with our PR person um, who's building a, uh, a tape of us uh, to uh, work with media outlets. Uh, so they start to get comfortable with us as potential, you know, mm -hmm. on air uh, experts, so to say. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's that it's deal flow. It's um, later today, for example, we have a company coming in where we were negotiating a term sheet uh, to be a potential lead on a transaction. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the, the day is is kind of all those in one. Um, the, the reading is so interesting because you could go, you could spend, I'll put it this way, you could make a living or or if you could make a living, it'd be cool, but you could spend your whole day attending conferences. Yeah. <laughs> all day, every day. Right? Yep. I and, think there are people that do that too. <laughs> they, there are people do it. I don't yeah. know if they make a living at it, but there are people who do it. Um, and you could, you could fill your day all day reading the 80,000 new sources that are out there. Um, and so I think with all that, you try to choose your spots. And, you know, there's various uh, aggregator sources that I think do a really excellent job of curating and putting out there what's important to read and look at. Um, so, you know, I probably spend at least an hour or two a day um, reading the news. Um, and, and learning as much as I can, um, another hour a day out there in the market talking to people. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for example, we had a dinner last night with one of our investment companies. Uh, it's one of the groups that's um, uh, doing a multi-state footprint and their knowledge base of other players and different dynamics and what products. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing how much you learn just by asking somebody a question and shutting up. Yep. Right. So we, we spend, we all spend, you know, there's four partners in the scrum. We're all out in the market doing that um, and then communicating back, uh, you know, to each other. So it's, there, there is so much and you can get, get inundated and lost. We really appreciate the groups that have, uh, you know, put together these aggregated, you know, in your mailbox in the morning uh, uh, emails so you can be more efficient about it. You know, yeah, and on, the, on the conference side, it's really trying to choose which ones are the most meaningful and could create the most value in it. Uh, it's it's a daunting task. <laughs> Absolutely. Daunting. No, there, there's such a tremendous amount of data and sources and knowledge out there. It could be your whole job every day. And it is for some people, the, those aggregators of those email, uh, those emails, that's what they're doing all day. I, uh, I read a, a great quote by some investor, maybe Ben Horowitz or something that said, you know, you can sit down with an entrepreneur and an hour learn what they, what took them five years to learn. And that's, yeah. a, that's a little bit about what venture capital is. Uh, is sort well, of just, I'll give, I'll give yeah. you this one example with, with the plethora of news and data that's out there. 
it's still it's still so opaque. I mean, and I'll give you this one example. We were looking at, um, I, I was trying to determine the, actually, I, I was trying to back into something. So what I was trying to back into is I wanted to see if I could figure out, based on projections of retail buying demand, how many plants need to be grown, right? And, mm -hmm. and so, so then you want to take retail to wholesale, and then you want to take wholesale into you know, is it flour or is it extracted products? And then you got to do a bunch of calculations there. And then you got to get into, you know, how much, how much weight per plant, right? And how much can you, uh, how much can be flour and extracted oil? And you try to do all this calculation to figure it out. And, and you talk to a bunch of different sources and they give you pretty, pretty variable answers on some of those key metrics of how much does your average plant weigh? How much can you extract, right? All these things. Yep. And the, the resulting answers are so wide. And so even with all this news and data that's out there, it is so opaque. And what, what you need to do is start talking to people, right? Like what we were saying about earlier, how much you could learn, you know, in an hour conversation with someone who's living this thing day to day. Yep. Um, but what, and what I tell in potential investors in our fund is yeah, if you want to be involved in the industry, more power, you know, and, and invest directly, more power to you. But just know that don't trust, don't trust what you're reading. Yeah. Right. Trust yeah. the conversations that you have with real people. But what does that mean? That means you got to dig in deep. You, you can't do it as a side project. No, not at all. Um, it it seems like there's fewer companies than in technology or other sectors, so it should be easier to select them. But I think in a lot of ways it makes it harder because you see the same names over and over again. You sort of have to not necessarily get lulled into um, the common think. You know, you were thinking about you were talking about yeah. being the contrarian earlier. Uh, you can't just follow the herd. It's not it's not going to work. Um, a little bit more about you, just to shift gears again. Uh, how has your relationship with cannabis changed since you started down this path? Yeah, so um, when I was a kid through college, I consumed cannabis, right? Um, and then I I got into the you know the quote unquote working world, um, and I stopped. I I completely walked away from it for twenty five years. It was just was not part of my life, and it. It just wasn't even in my thought process, um, you know, and for a bunch of reasons. Um, you know, when you when you work on Wall Street, you know, at that point, and and probably still today, you know, there's drug testing and all those things, and it it just didn't fit in my life. And no mm -hmm. qualms about it. It's just, hey, that was what I did then, and and uh, I moved on, so to say. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't from, hey, I didn't like it, but just didn't fit. Mm -hmm. um, but about uh, about three plus years ago. Uh, really because of Colorado's adult use legalization, I got aware of the industry. And I was just fascinated in a way that like, wow, this can actually happen. It could actually be legal. Now, I had known that there were medical programs out there, but I just never, I never had that knowledge base or understood that medical cannabis was a thing and how it can help people. I've learned subsequently now, and it's, it's, I'm amazed by it every day. Really the, the personal testimonials of how it's helped people it really just blows me away. But I didn't have any of that sense then, but I, I did understand recreational. So I just spent a year reading and learning. Um, and at the end of that, I came to the conclusion that I wanted to invest in the industry. Um, but what I had determined 
and you know, this is touching on some of what we talked about earlier. I couldn't do, I didn't want to do it as a side project. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to invest my own capital, I needed to do it full time. I needed to, to meet people and network and do all the things I did in my prior career to get to a level of comfort. Um, and I started to doing that, but that whole journey reacquainted me with cannabis as a product and, uh, and the way that I could incorporate it in my life. And I, and I found that, that it fit and it's been a really cool journey. Um, but I'd say the, the, the coolest part of it is, is, you know, beyond the recreational and how it's affected me, it's, it's learning about how it's truly helping people. Mm -hmm. um, and whether that's from a medical side or a social justice side, or, you know, there's all these other things. Just a wellness never, side, you know, yeah, drinking less, being less yeah. stressed. Yeah. All that stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm continually blown away by that. And I, I feel really lucky to have been exposed to that other side of this product. So, you know, on a personal basis, it's been really satisfying to, um, to get that awareness. Uh, you know, my other partners had some personal experiences where uh, one of my partners, his uh, sister passed away, um, I think earlier this year uh, from cancer. And uh, she was using cannabis and CBD, CBD oil as a way to help manage pain and other aspects. And, and it was helpful. Um, and one of my other partners, um, his, uh, his wife uh, is going back, uh, I think, four or five years, um, also had cancer and passed away and had, and had been using uh, different cannabis products to help uh, generate an appetite or for pain. Um, and, and wow, is that amazing. You know, it's just like, and I, I, again, I, I, I'm going to repeat it, but I, I feel really fortunate to be exposed to how it can help people. Yep. So that's been really cool. You know, I come it from I come out of it from, come at it from an economic perspective, but to gain that awareness has really been wonderful. Well, and it's pretty cool because uh, in a lot of ways you are funding that change. It's not like in investing in a new Gmail plugin or yeah. a Salesforce <laughs> app, right? Where it may move the needle a third of a percent for a section of a sales department. You know, I but mean, I, I joke with my wife that I'm inadvertently going to help people. Yeah. In spite of yourself, you're going to help. Spite people, of right? <laughs> well said. Well, this has been an awesome interview, John. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll give you just a minute or so. If you want anything that, uh, to plug yourself, are you hiring for anything or how can the audience help you? Yeah. Um, we're not hiring. Look, I, th I think that what we'd love the, uh, the audience to think about is we're actively investing in the cannabis space. We invest in companies at their late, uh, seed stage through their mid-growth phase. So we'd love to see any opportunities, uh, direct or indirect, in the cannabis space. Um, I think that would be really our my 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 biggest plea out there. Um, we, we've got huge deal flow, but I want to see the bet. I want to see all opportunities. And do you respond to cold emails or only interest? You do. We do. No, no, no. We, we you know if if you, if you want to be snooty, you could be snooty. <laughs> you know? But we're not. We, yep. we really think you, you, you never know where you could find the next great opportunity. So, uh, you know, be open to all of it. Very cool. Uh, well, again, this has been an awesome interview. Thanks so much for joining us, John. It's been great. Thank you so much for inviting me. And again, as, as we talked about earlier, um, we had an early interaction when my journey started in the cannabis space. Um, and it's great to, you know, come full circle and, um, and, uh, have, ask you, uh, having, 
uh, you to ask us to uh, to participate in your program. And, and one other thing is, I listen to your program all the time and find investment opportunities and learn a great deal. So really appreciate what you're doing and, and how you're helping and participating in the industry. Thank you so much. Those are really nice words. And it warms my heart to know that I could help you get started a couple years ago. That's really cool. Absolutely. Really yeah, cool. Thanks so much. All right, John. Thanks.